0: Hi everyone, I'm Tara Montt, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont Podcast, where you can find a new episode released every Thrive Thursday. I am a current clinical psychology graduate student, passionate about all things to do with mental health, relationships, healing, self-reflection, and other topics that influence us in our everyday lives. I created this podcast to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life and to share insightful and honest conversations with everyday individuals and informed professionals. Although the show is not a replacement for therapy, I hope the conversations had can inspire you to look within, to practice self-compassion, to gain more awareness, and to trust the process of your unique journey. If you resonate with the message of Trust and Thrive, make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. You can also stay connected by following me on Instagram at trustandthrive. Thank you for being here. Now let's get right into this week's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to be back with a guest episode. It's been quite a few weeks of just adjusting To my internship, my practicum for school, seeing clients, having some personal stuff going on. But I'm just happy to be here. And Trust and Thrive has officially been going on for four years now. So I'm very, very excited about that. I'm just so thankful to be having these conversations and to have more guests come on the show. It's just always an honor. So thank you to everyone for being here. Thank you to you for listening. And To announce, I have created a Patreon, which I'm very, very excited about. You may have heard that in the last episode of the show, but I have a Patreon where I will be posting weekly in-depth videos. I've already posted one now. I'm going to post the next one this week, and the first one is on the topic of boundary setting. It's called The Hardest Boundary I've Had to Set. I will also be posting an exclusive podcast episode on the Patreon answering your questions, and sharing more of my own experience on topics that you bring up that you want to hear. So I will make sure to include that in the description of this episode. You can also visit on the website patreon.com trustandthrive. And you can also follow me at trustandthrive on Instagram and TikTok. And that being said, let's get into introducing this week's guest. Her name is Dr. Alma Zaragoza Petty. Alma is a Mexicana social justice advocate and scholar who teaches equity to create change. She's the daughter of immigrant parents and a first-generation high school and college graduate. She has a master's degree in counseling and a doctorate in education. She's worked in higher education for more than 20 years, and she has also served as an academic advisor and more. Her new book has just been released this week, Chingona, Owning Your Inner Badass for Healing and Justice. So in this episode, we talk a lot about breaking generational cycles, growing up with immigrant parents, being the first in your family to do many different things like challenge the beliefs, the system that has been created in your family, challenge certain behaviors, and so on. And so I really enjoy chatting with Alma. I hope you enjoyed this episode and were able to take something away. You can follow Alma at the doc zp on instagram and i'll make sure to include the link to her book in the show notes of this episode if you enjoy this episode and have been enjoying the show please feel free to leave a rating and review on apple itunes apple podcasts that being said let's get right into the conversation Hi, Alma. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really happy to have you here. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk about my book and uh, to be able to, you know, answer any questions and just kind of get into it. So thanks for having me.
0: Of course, I'm very excited. So to start off, can you tell listeners more about yourself, your
1: book, what inspired you to write the book? So I guess, um, you know, Chingona, owning your inner badass for healing and justice, was really a, uh, you know, a process for me, of really, uh, really starting to just get really healthy, both mentally, spiritually, physically, and owning sort of, you know, what I needed to change and what had to change, and also recognizing uh, that part of that, unfortunately, is like really reckoning with your past, and in my case, that was something that was very painful that I wanted to ignore that I didn't want to have to deal with. And so it took me very long uh, to write this book. But I actually wrote the book with the support of my therapist. Um, They have since become a great mentor of mine. And Um, I've had other therapists who have also mentioned, like, you should write a book about your life. And I don't know if that was an indication of just like me loving to talk about myself or because they saw that, like I had things to say about healing and social justice and that sort of thing. But either way, I decided to go for it during the pandemic. Um, I was one of those fortunate people where the pandemic actually opened up a lot of space for me, both mentally and like just psychically. Like I just felt so like free to kind of be more creative. And so um, that's when it happened. And my background is really one of uh, being in education. So I work in Scholar Match. It's a nonprofit who supports first generation, lower income background um, students. We provide targeted uh, financial aid, support. Social emotional support through an advisor. I'm an advisor there currently, a senior advisor. And I have worked in this field for over 20 years. I decided to major in psychology as an undergrad. I went to UCLA. Uh, I then was really interested in just like what goes on in our heads, how we are, why we are, and just all of those philosophical and psychological questions. And so I continued um, and and went on to get a counseling degree. Um, and then I really got curious about equity and diversity and in my own trajectory through those higher education institutions, seeing less and less people that looked like me. And so I really got curious about the diversity and the equity in the access for populations of lower income background populations, but also women of color in particular. And so I have a PhD in education as well.
0: That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I know you mentioned exploring your past and maybe suppressing that until a certain time in your life, which I imagine many people can resonate with of thinking like, oh, I don't need to talk about it or that didn't affect me. Was there a specific time in your life or moment where, you know, either it made you think, "Okay, I really need to explore this. It's being brought up. Or was it like over time? What really made you want to um, reflect on your past?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I definitely had a very big pivotal moment that I talk about in the book that launched me into even writing the book, but even before that, I do remember um just kind of generally feeling like, man, there's got to be more to life. Like what am I missing here? You know, what's going on? Just like unsatiated like deep spiritual questions about the meaning, the purpose of my life specifically. And and I think that because of that, I went on to like a, you know, major in psychology, because I thought that was going to give me some answers. Uh, It's so funny, because a lot of psychologists like that's why they go into psychology. It's like their own. We have our
0: own stuff. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's kind of like the main reason we go into stuff. And then I went into counseling. And during my counseling program, I was required to do personal individual counseling for myself, uh, so that I could be a good counselor, uh, which makes total sense. And to also do group therapy, which was very new to me at that time. I was very uncomfortable. I was so much a suppressor of my emotions before this time in my life and I just remember really really being rocked like from my comfort zone. And um I think that's really what began like thinking like why am I so uncomfortable by this? This is, you know, this is a there was kind of like another question that I that I felt like I needed to explore and just wanting to like understand myself more.
0: Definitely. And so for someone who is curious and has those questions, but maybe they're still in an environment at home or in a family where they don't feel as comfortable exploring that. What advice would you give to someone who is like still in that environment physically, but they are working on maybe exploring those patterns or on making some changes?
1: It was it's so difficult. I think there are so many things that get in the way of being able to do that. One is like cost, right? Like there's it's just so expensive sometimes to get like straight up therapy. Um, so I I would encourage people who are in those situations to really start to seek out a support system. I think that having friends who are non judgmental when you share things and that just help you reflect critical self reflection. Um is you really journaling through what you're feeling? You know, what are some things that are coming up for you? Really starting to understand your feelings and and why, you know, you're, you're, you might be sad. You know, like I remember very early on in my own journey of healing, I didn't, I felt like I needed someone to tell me what I was feeling. Like, I was like, I don't know what I'm feeling. I'm just, I'm very confused. That was, and I, I now know that was, that's being overwhelmed, <laughs> you know, like that's just being so... So repressed that, like, you don't even know where to start. There's so many emotions there. And so, because of that, it can be a lot of work. It can, the first few years, the first few months, it's a long term commitment. It's a lot of work. And that work also leaves you physically, psychologically, like, tired. And I would just say, be gracious to yourself during that time. It is so much work happening. And you know, like, it's okay, if you're tired, it's okay, if you need to have uh some time to just decompress and not be hard on yourself during that time. I think that was, if I could go back, I would be way nicer to myself and be like, you know what, girl? Yeah, you do need a milkshake, go ahead and drink yeah. that, you know, it's gonna be so hard on the fact that I was like working so hard on myself. Like, I think I was, that definitely was a journey to learn how to be just self compassionate and like patient with myself.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like in those moments it feels like the end of the world, and then you look back and think it was okay. So, I appreciate that. And so to get into your book, you discuss the term chingona. Um and so for someone who doesn't know what that means and the connotation maybe behind it, can you explain um what that is and what you how you maybe try to redefine
1: that for yourself? So, chingona is still still might be considered a very vulgar word in certain Latinx communities. Um My Mexican background included, I think that depending on like, like space and place in terms of like socioeconomic status, um, you know, just generational status, it could really be vulgar for folks. And so, but there's also a really big population of Latinas that are reclaiming this term uh, to really mean something different. And so historically, Chingona literally, like I, you know, like there's, there's, um, I don't know if I can say about words in your podcast. But oh, yeah, go for it. <laughs> it. It means children of the F word, and it is reminiscent of just the colonial period of when women were being raped by the Spaniards in Mexico and being called that. And so, uh, the children being called as chingones, chingon, so it always had a negative etymology, like where it comes from, but over the years. Especially for men, chingon has taken on a much more positive light. It's much more like you're a badass. You're, you're empowered. You're, you know, you're someone to like want to be like. But for women, I feel like that became much like slower. That process of like being called a chingona was like being called someone who's annoying, a son of a bee, you know, that those kinds of like connotations, uh, which we see across cultures, right? With like certain terms, like um, you know, I'm thinking specifically like being called co- calling women cunt like in and at some points. Like it was such a diss and a lot of different populations, uh, during like sexual revolutions and like just, you know, women's right, like seasons, like it became co, you know, co-opted and and sort of a an emblem for like, yeah, and what? You know, like I am loud, I am here. Yeah. And okay. <laughs> Like this is part of yeah. being a woman as well. And so that's that's what chingona represents to me. It represents um, you know, a very uh a place of empowerment that takes on and acknowledges my history, my background, um, but also is outward. It's about changing one another as a culture, it's about uplifting other women in this struggle, in this process. Um And so it could really, it's something that has been reclaimed, I would say as well, by a lot of Latinas. Um, And so it doesn't, it no longer means what, you know, it may have meant many years, many generations ago. Um, And so that's what chingona means.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And it's just like fascinating to hear about the double standard, because you're so right. And so I'm curious if you don't mind sharing, like, Are there like specific, maybe a few examples of like messages you received as a woman, especially as a woman of color growing up um, and how you've been working on redefining that for someone who maybe resonates and they feel like, oh, well, I hear this all the time or I feel stuck in those limiting beliefs.
1: Yeah, I think for me, the word chingona was used, you know, in my familial context as a way to really um, like, like literally sit me down and metaphorically sit me down. Like, don't engage where no one's asking your opinion, you are to like, listen and obey and not have any input on this process. And, you know, this is something that I think that gets passed on generationally in the way that we parent our own kids and how we were parented sometimes, not always, but I specifically come from, and I talk a lot about this in my book, I come from uh, you know, a lineage of there being just a lot of intergenerational trauma that was never addressed. And I was a type of kid that had a lot of questions about that. When I would see certain things in my community and my family, I would ask and people would just like, you don't ask those things. You don't, you know, <laughs> you don't go there. And then I, and sometimes it was met even by my own family members with tears, like they couldn't even express what was going on, or, you know, that question that I was asking. And I remember really being impacted by that as a child and really wanting to understand what that was about, you know, and I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but that that was really something that for me, uh, really started to unpack the limiting beliefs that not only like my family members had, but that I was being taught, you know, unconsciously by them, Um, had to go through a long process of like forgiving, even though no one asked for forgiveness, (laughs) you know, like people didn't show up and like, hey, you know what, like, I'm sorry that I did XYZ while you were a child and didn't meet you where you were with your questions and instead put you down. And sometimes you need to forgive without an apology. And that was one of the hardest lessons for me in moving forward in my healing and really understanding that, like, I didn't need to continue these cycles that were passed on to me. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's so beautifully said. And you brought up a good point of, like, being that first person to, like, bring that up or maybe you know, maybe one of the first people in your family to bring that up to have that hard conversation. You're almost like the black sheep in that family. And it can be so hard when, you know, generationally they've been continuing on these cycles and patterns. And of course there's like that trauma there. And a lot of our loved ones, like as a child of immigrants, I acknowledge that my parents did the best they could with what they knew and their parents did the best they could. But when you're that first person, you can feel like such an outsider when you stir the pot a little bit. And so can you talk about your experience of whether it's like losing relationships or upsetting people or hurting people and how hard that and lonely that can feel when you first start to do that, especially?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there was definitely a season in my life where I very much was on my own, sort of navigating a new path, a new way to be. This is what one of the chapters deals with. It deals with the idea that just as our parents you know as a first generation born uh latina came to new physical lands you know the the what i need to take up as a as someone who who has that freedom now to that space emotional space and physical space is to take on new emotional metaphysical lands that my parents were never able to consider because they were on survival mode you know And I think that helped me really to understand and and forgive when it was really hard to understand and forgive, to realize, okay, if they hadn't taken that big leap, though, I would literally be stuck in that same, you know, it's hard to tell the future, obviously, but I feel that I would have probably continued and not known any different, right? But because they took this big, huge step of coming into a country where, first of all, they were not wanted, you know, second of all, there's xenophobia around immigrants all the time and I remember being really scared as a child you know about my parents status that sort of thing um uh, it really empowered me to to like discover places that I could go that they couldn't and and I don't mean physical places I meant like I said emotional psychological places where they couldn't have even phantom them to go and so during those times, you know, there were times when I wasn't talking to my parents. I was just, they don't understand me. They didn't understand me. I think they still kind of think I'm crazy <laughs> that I'm talking about all this so openly and like not in a way that I'm like, oh my gosh, you you all were the worst. And like, you know, I actually have good great relationships with them now. But but I think that pivotal thing that made that possible were like really good boundaries. So really understanding, okay, how can my parents or my family members show up for me? And knowing their strength is not to show up with me, for me, like in a non-judgmental way, that is not their strength. Like they they only know to like, sort of like, you know, have their own opinions on what I have going on. And so if I am going to share, I, I, I manage my expectations so that I know that what I'm going to receive from them Are like really good judgment and questions and critical like thoughts, and so there's times when I need that. There's times when I'm just like you know I'm maybe in a season where I'm like not sure what to do or just needs to hear them and their opinions that sometimes are I don't ask for but they give me, and so sometimes it's fine. I'm like I have the capacity, I feel good, like I'm you know I'm in a in a place where like. I can take that and not take it personal um, and just hear like your concerns because now I'm able to see that I'm able to see beyond sort of the criticism and, and, and know like, oh yeah, I think they're just really worried that X, Y, Z, you know, but if I don't have those, if I didn't have those boundaries uh, very early on, I think, you know, as early as in my late teens, I started to have some boundaries around uh, what I can share, what I can expect if I share Uh, if I have the capacity to like deal with their responses, or if I have, or maybe it's, you know, it would be better to not share or share at a different time. Um, And also even the time that I spend with them, even now, I feel so bad because I'm just like (laughs) openly talking.
0: No, no, I do all the time. (laughs)
1: Relationships are complicated. Complicated. (laughs) And so, you know, there's times when I know that, you know if i'm in a gathering uh depending on people's certain uh moods or just inclinations that day i might be like you know what i think i'm going to handle like an hour of this and then i'm going to be gone <laughs> because i can i can't do this for too long you know so boundaries i feel like boundaries were like what helped me through those really lonely seasons of like working on it on my own or with like you know a chosen family as opposed to like the family that was given and you know and just really digging into Um, relationships where I felt supported and I felt like I was able to be me and that I could dive deeper into who I am and not until, uh, you know, to whatever the people around me wanted me to be or be like, or, you know, so true acceptance.
0: Definitely. I, I really appreciate that. That's such an empathetic approach and important to realize that, you know, you don't have to completely hate your parents or completely love everything your parents do. Like relationships are complicated. And I think it's really hard when maybe if you've grown up in an enmeshed family or a family that's like really, you know, continued those generational cycles and you're trying to break away from that to also... Accept and say, okay, I love these parts of my culture. I want to continue these patterns and I also want to break these. And I think that has to do with boundaries and kind of figuring out what your needs are, what I want to continue, and what I want to set boundaries with. And so for someone who is starting to set boundaries and maybe they hear, oh, you don't love us, or how could you do this, or we've done everything for you, or like they hear all this guilt and fe- they just feel terrible about doing it, what advice would you give to them on? holding their boundary on the feeling? Like, how was your experience with it over time?
1: Yeah, I wish I could say that I was always very calculated in my responses, but there was definitely times <laughs> I would just go off on, you know, um, people around me, my family. members. My- think that it took some recognizing patterns. And so the guilt tripping responses, like, being able to get better at understanding what they meant. And typically not because they're forthcoming and they're, you know, we're, we're, I'm allowed to ask questions, but because of a, of of seeing a pattern of like, okay, these people have continued to be in my life, even though clearly they think I'm, you know, I'm doing things in this very radical way. And so they must really love me. Like deep down, this is the way that they are, they love me and the, the way that they're able to show that they love me. And I'm not going to say like, that's everyone, because I do feel like there are instances where it might be so toxic and so abusive that you probably just need to sever those relationships. Um, and, and, you know, I don't want to ever condone like abusive, sane and abusive relationships or coming off as I'm like, no, it's fine. Like you can work through everything. No, there's people that you might need to just, you know, uh, completely sever from your life and 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 that's okay that's the kind of space and boundary you need but those times when you know in the beginning when I did have certain guilt tripping comments um I would I would I got better at not reacting so being able to catch myself and say like oh man this is really bothering me that this is what they're hearing you know an example that I have which I still joke about with like my sister because she also gets it it's um my my father is really hard you know he has a really hard time expressing his emotions so if I call him after not calling him for about a week he's like oh I'm so glad you finally I mean it's in Spanish so it's, it's oh wow you remembered you had a dad like how great thanks for calling me uh, yeah I'm just here you know alone you guys haven't called me <laughs> and like I'm just like, Hey dad, I love you too. And I've missed you as well. I'm glad that we're connecting now. (laughs) That's what he's saying. You know, like he just can't, he doesn't have the words to say that. So once I say that I totally diffuse him. He's just like, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to say. I'm glad you called (laughs) me. I'm like, yes, thank you. (laughs) You know, but, um, Before I would just, I would, it would be so hard and I just have to like hang up or I'd have to be like, okay, I'm not in a mental capacity right now to try to decipher what you're trying to say. You know, I'm, I have to like create this boundary. And then when I feel better, I'll come back and call you and like, be like, oh, Hey, I know. Right. We haven't seen each other in a little bit. I miss you too. Able to like have a little bit of space. And that really starts, I think it, it really helped when I was, doing things that were good for me and catching those, those instances. So for instance, like, for me, uh, prayer and like meditation were huge, to just give myself enough like space, quiet space to just dig into what I was how I was feeling and how I'm doing.
0: Definitely, that's, that's really beautifully said. And I think that's such a good example of like, even emotional boundaries. And, you know, you're not alone in that, that like, it, personally i have taken it so i've taken it so personally if like you know my parents have said something like that in the past i used to think like i'm such a terrible daughter or like how could i do this they've done everything for me and so how have you like worked through those feelings of i mean I'm, i know you've talked about therapy but of taking that personally especially i don't know if you've ever felt that but like the guilt of knowing at least for me, that like my parents have done so much. They've like we've talked about basically like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs of like they just had to like get their physical needs met, support us, you know, financial, get food on the table. And then I have this privilege of like exploring the deeper meaning of life. (laughs) And so there can be a lot of guilt that comes with that. And so I guess the real question is, have you experienced, I know you discussed it, but that guilt of thinking, okay, like, they did so much. Like, what am I supposed to do with my life with that?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think something about, uh, you know, my specific background is that rather, you know, there were instances where there was like a lot of enmeshment in my family where, you know, there was a lot of guilt tripping and that sort of thing. But there was also a lot of freedom because my parents didn't know any better. For instance, like they were just so excited when I graduated high school and they're like, oh my gosh, you made it. Like, Amazing, you know they were so supportive and proud of me for that. And I was like, well, there's this thing called college that I'm like trying, <laughs> I'm thinking of doing. And they're like, what? You're not gonna get a job? You're not gonna get a steady like pay? You know, government like paying job? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that yet. I, I I'm really curious about different things, and I want to like keep learning and you know, kind of doing, doing more of that. And because they didn't know any better, you know. And I know that this is different in different families and communities. Like they were like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Like that's an option and sounds like a good option. So they were always supportive. They were just like, awesome. Yeah, go do that. And, you know, they were always encouraging me, um, by, you know, in their own way to like, just keep sort of exploring. And so I think that was one of the ways that I felt their support, even though it was not communicated (laughs) like in that way. Um, and I think that, because of that it didn't ever feel like i was necessarily leaving them behind or or like not letting them be a part of my life it was more of like how do i want you to be a part of my life and and you know i think it, i was in like my mid 20s when i first broached that conversation with my dad and i was just like um you know i talk a lot about my dad even in my book because he was one of the those big um kind of strong models around me at that time and you know very opinionated like had very distinct ways of like thinking about life that i was like um i'm sorry what <laughs> you know so he definitely challenged me in a lot of like not so good and some good ways and so as i i think as i started to you know go on my own journey there were times when i felt very guilty that and you know i, I recently even saw a like a a meme about this like when you go even to like a physical different country that is like beautiful and you just kind of have this guilt like oh I wish my family was here I wish they would enjoy this moment and now it's not the case um I've also had the experience of like inviting them to different spaces and because of their own self-limiting beliefs or like the way that they understand life they're just like oh no I don't I don't want to do that like they're just very kind of scared about like new territory and like struggling through like something like in a new country. You know, it's just there's just certain things that like doesn't seem like fun to them that for me because of my own path I've been able to do and like really like um be passionate about. And so I guess that helps a little bit with the guilt, you know. I also know that at the end of the day, they had to make sacrifices based on their own life circumstances just like I have to make sacrifices based on my own circumstances and I try to relate more on, a, you know, we, you just, this, is, these are the decisions you made for your life. And I, you know, even if it, if, if it was very limited because of what you chose to do, there's a lot of things that you're invited to that you don't want to do when you totally could. <laughs> so, so I, I feel like part of it is just like, I, I can't take that on. That's not mm-hmm. my responsibility to undo. My responsibility is to just love you for who you are and how you're showing up right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, you almost answered this next question I have, which is, you know, you've talked about the idea of acceptance. And I think when very often if you're working on like breaking those cycles or you have these realizations or you've been in therapy, you're one of the first to work on that. You may think, oh, my gosh, like I want to take everyone on with me. Like you don't have to fight this way. You don't have to do this. Like we can travel. We can change these patterns together. And so what advice would you give to someone who? Feels that responsibility of like bringing past generations with them, bringing everyone around them to like understand what they've you know learned and what they want to you know do moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think I would say like there is a way to still do that, right? So one of the ways that I feel like I was able to still do that is by writing this book and being able to empathize with a whole generation of folks that are like me that wanted that self help book that felt like it was about them and their life and the way that they've experienced their own journey in life. And at least for me, as someone that like read a lot of um, self-help books and just like spiritual or like, you know, trying to understand life books, like purpose-driven works, I definitely looked into a lot of books. And I remember just thinking like, I get the understanding behind this. I just wish like I could resonate with your lived experience. I, you know, and, and instead there were like anecdotes about, you know, um, just a very like white European centric life, because that's who I read a lot of books by white women um, because that's what's out there. Not because I wanted to, you know, but in terms of like self-help books or like, you know, these kinds of uh, healing books, that's what was out there when I was looking. Um, and so I really wanted to offer something to my own community where we could resonate around jokes about Cheetos or like things that just felt a little more like home like horchata I don't know. And so I tried really hard in this book to keep some of that who I am and my background so that I could it could still resonate with other folks who might be going through their own journey in a way that's you know very you know very culturally driven obviously because we're not devoid and cannot you know un undo that part um, and have something that they can also understand and relate to. That was very hard growing up for me, not being able to find those types of books. And, you know, all that to say, like, I've had amazing, like, women mentors that were white. And so I totally get that there's so much to learn from folks like that. and, And I still receive that. But there's also something very intimate and special about feeling like I am, like, understood at like a very deep level with this like i can get to the part of your question which was for me <laughs> for me i think like because for a long time the way that i dealt with a lot of my um problematic behavior was through just re- repressing and escaping i had to really be intentional in who i sought out to like support me in that process and i have really found that Thinking about this, your own healing from a recovery type of work is so helpful in helping you understand what is under your control and what is not for you to control. And you can't control other people's beliefs, ideas, behaviors, but you can control your own ideas, beliefs, and behaviors. And that is as most that's about the only thing you can control in life. And so when you start to understand that, All of a sudden, it frees you up to not feel that guilt, to not feel that, you know, um, like that angst of like needing to show up a certain way for people or wanting them to be on this journey with you at the speed that you're in, because ultimately it's their choice. Uh, You can't control how others want to live their lives. And But what's amazing is that your life is for you to completely control. So that's one way that you can start to even be different around them. And hopefully that will incentivize them to want to learn more or understand themselves more. But you can't make other people change. It's, it's like, it's the hardest you know, uh, to to even try. So For sure. Yeah. It's exhausting. I I appreciate
0: you mentioning that. And I I just want to add that it's so valid that even if you read books by like white women, they will never, ever, ever have it like the a similar experience or the same experience, I mean. So it's so important to have that representation. And I, I do really admire that, you know, you took that pain, you took your experiences and you put that into a very vulnerable book and something that I'm sure many individuals will resonate with. And so I know in one of your um, chapters, you mentioned seeing your scars as proof of healing. Can you uh, talk about what that means to you and your thoughts on seeing healing as maybe like a lifelong journey as opposed to an end destination, how you would view it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I actually read a lot of Gloria Saldua, And so a lot of my book, for those of you that are maybe a little more nerdy beyond just the (laughs) self-help kinds of things that I'm presenting, um, I studied a lot of feminist theory and critical race theory. And so, a lot of even how I write my book takes all of that into account, including, you know, who I really allow to speak into this kind of understanding of life. And so, um, Anzaldua has, you know, a section in, I forget exactly which one of her books, um, about how scarce can be, can really help us to bridge us into. The spiritual something like that i can't remember exactly how she said it she said it way more eloquently i'm sure but b- when i when i read that i remember thinking like oh my gosh i've seen i've only seen scars as pain i've only ever seen scars as hurt and and a reminder of how hurt i was and how broken i was or how you know much work i needed on myself and i've never seen scars as you know As not only the physical scars, but just scars, like emotional scars and metaphysical scars as actually proof that there is healing happening, that there's, that they are, it's actually, you know, physically, our bodies literally have a mechanism for which it heals itself or wants to heal itself. And so I started thinking about like, oh my gosh, what does that mean in terms like the emotional psychic level and how like, we have this mechanism of even wanting to see healing within ourselves and each other. Um, because that's how we, you know, I like to think that as humans, like, I, you know, the, I like to think the best of humans and that people care for one another. And I come from a very long lineage of brown women that took care of one another. And so that's sort of my, my view of life. And so when I think about it that way, I'm like, wow, like our, our even psychically and emotionally, like my ancestors are helping me through like, be able to heal these emotional scars and these scars that I have and how beautiful it is to see scars as it, it was a moment in time and now it is healing and it is becoming less of my identity it's becoming more of like this thing that happened and that do no, no longer defines me but it's a way that I am able to see actually how how far I've come And so that's what it means to me to say that your scars, seeing your scars as proof of healing, is really about that, about having recasting a different narrative around your hurt um, and seeing how it might actually bring you closer to the kind of person you are meant to be authentically.
0: I love that. And perfect transition, because a big theme of the show is living your most authentic life. And of course, that means something different for everyone. Also, not everyone has the privilege to be authentic in the spaces that they are in. And so for you, how would you define living your most authentic life?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. And I, you know, I wrestle a lot with that as well in the book. And I think one of the things that I that it, it ultimately comes down to is accepting yourself at your deepest level and core of who you are and finding that those are strengths and not weaknesses. I think for a very long time, because I was someone who was very empathetic. um, You know, honestly, I think that one of the reasons I was really empathetic was because of the hurt and the scars that I had and being able to see and empathize with others that were going through similar kinds of, uh, you know, situations. And that's really what made me even more aware of of that. And so for me, like living um, my most authentic life is really being able to sit with myself and be totally comfortable in where I am. Just, you know, regret is just part of life because we are filled with choices all the time. And And one of the things that I really recently that I'm really working on in terms of like uh, living my own authentic life is like self-trust, trusting that I made the best decision when I was in that moment and that no matter what ended, ended up happening, trusting that it was for the best and trusting that moving forward, it's going to help me to be even better as a person, you know, and, and, and meet those kinds of goals that I have for myself. So really it's, it's about being comfortable with yourself for me, being authentic is being comfortable with yourself allowing yourself to go through the pain of life, but also know that there's so much joy and that it's all in there. You can't stop one or the other. You just have to accept it all and you have to keep showing up for yourself in the way that you need to uh, be taken care of by yourself during those moments.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. And lastly, I want to ask, what would you tell this can be a deep question, but I ask every guest this. I love to hear it. What would you tell to younger Alma who didn't know what she knows now, who maybe was in a very different situation? Um, what would you tell to your younger self?
1: Well, actually, that's why I wrote the book. It was like a response to my younger self. You're like, this is an easy question for me. I <laughs> love like 200 pages of what I would tell myself. But I think the most important one is probably going to be really seeing your your scars as proof of healing like seeing that in in a very you know deep level and also um just acknowledging the the scary sort of uncomfortable and hurtful things of the past like not ignoring them and not thinking they're going to go away and not thinking that they're just it's fine But actually sitting with it and being uncomfortable and letting the tears flow and just getting to the next stage because there is a next stage. And I think sometimes when we start that work, we forget like that bigger picture because it's so much and heavy. Like I know when I went through the depression state, I was like, what in the world? Like, why did I start this? This is awful. (laughs) You know, I, I think I would basically just tell myself like, no, actually it just broadens your capacity for even more joy and more grief and being able to hold all of it and still be okay. Like I would have never like uh thought that I would be okay with like so much crazy sadness going on in my life with so much joy and and amazing milestones, you know as a mom, as a whatever it is to see like, wow, I can really have I, I have the capacity for all of it. You know, and that's, I think, what happens at the end of that depression stage or journey. You know, there there is healing that happens if you allow yourself, you know, to go there, be uncomfortable and have the right support system. Well, thank you so
0: much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. I will definitely make sure to include the link to your book and your socials in the description of this episode. But um, if, if there's anything next coming up for you that you would like to discuss with the book, or where listeners can follow you in general, if you can share that before we head out, that'd be wonderful.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me again. I'm so excited to be talking about my book. I One of the greatest fears I'm sure you've heard from a lot of authors is that you wrote a book and like, who knows who's going to read it? <laughs> who knows if anyone's going to actually like read this? So um it's great to just talk about it uh but yeah, and uh if you want to follow me at all my socials, it's the docs z p t h e d o c z p so instagram, all of the socials um and in terms of what's coming up for me next is if you're in the L.A. area, I do have a book launch coming up. It's a big community celebration. There's going to be mariachi. There's going to be some folklorico dancers for those of you that know what that is. And uh, if you're interested of in having basically like a really big Mexican party to celebrate my book, it'll be in L.A. November 5th from 12 to 5 and it's family friendly i asked the dj not to play too many bad words with the songs so we'll see how it goes i'm super excited
0: that's awesome well congratulations that's honestly like a huge achievement so congratulations and um i appreciate you being here thank you so much thank you Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, you can find Alma on Instagram at the Doc ZP. You can also find me on Instagram at Trust and Thrive. And you can find her book, Chingona, Owning Your Inner Badass for Healing and Justice on Amazon and in the description of this episode. Thank you all so much for being here. I hope you were able to take something away. Please, please let me know what resonated with you. Anything that Alma said, anything that I said, please let us know. You can let me know on Instagram in the review ratings of the show, and you can also let me know on Patreon if you decide to join. I really, really hope you do. There's so much to come, and I'm really excited. So thanks again for being here. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, start to November, and we will be back with a new episode next Thrive Thursday.